You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Launched in 1983, the Ritz-Colton brand is recognized around the world for setting the gold standard for anticipatory hotel service. The brand is deeply committed to the high ideal of what its motto calls, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. As a result of its long-standing commitment to service delivery, the Ritz-Carlton has twice earned the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award. And for the fifth year in a row, Ritz-Carlton was ranked as the top luxury brand for hotel guest satisfaction by J.D. Power. The Ritz-Carlton's iconic lion and crown logo, which had a slight redesign a few years ago, stands for the pinnacle in luxury and service. At its inception, the Ritz-Carlton was known exclusively as a hotel company. Today, the organization has developed several very successful brand extensions, which include residences, destination clubs, Ritz-Carlton Reserve, a leadership center, retail, golf clubs, and philanthropic foundation community footprints. They are not only the largest provider of luxury spas in the United States, but one of the largest providers of luxury meeting and conference spaces around the world. My very special guest today on the luxury item is Antonia Hock, the global head and chief executive of the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center. Antonia leads a dynamic advisory business focused on innovating the customer experience and talent experience for clients worldwide. If you're not familiar with the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center, they deliver award-winning services that allow organizations to improve customer and employee engagement, transform their culture, drive brand loyalty, and create an extraordinary customer experience to give them a competitive advantage. Under Antonia's leadership, the Leadership Center has created incredible competitive advantages for some of the biggest brands in the world. Antonia has also authorized many highly acclaimed articles on innovation in the brand building and customer experience arena for publications like Forbes, American Express, Thrive Global, AOL, Disruptor Daily, and CMO.com. Prior to Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center, Antonia spent 20 years as a technology executive working for some of the world's largest companies, including Microsoft, HP, and Siemens. In 2019, she was recognized as one of the top 25 women to watch in luxury by Luxury Daily, which honors select women executives who show the potential to make a difference in the luxury business in the years ahead. So welcome, Antonia. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. I am so thrilled to have you. Are you up for the NRF this week by any chance? Uh, I am not, but uh, I've, I've been following along, and there's some exciting things happening at that conference for I sure. I know. So I'm very curious, and I'm sure our audience is very curious about the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center, and why did they decide to share their secret sauce, if you will, of the gold standard of customer experience? It's a pretty bold move. It, it is. Um, as, as you noted in, in the intro, when we won the Malcolm Baldridge Award, uh, part of that award, you have the obligation to teach and to share your best practices. And so that was really the genesis for the, uh, for the Leadership Center. But I also feel like um, with the books, the articles, and, and all of the things that are out in the world about the Ritz-Carlton, this is a company that fundamentally believes in what we do. And there is a um, such a strong desire to share that with the world. We really fundamentally believe great service, um, thoughtful culture of empowerment and trust really will change so many lives globally. So the, the brand itself launched Ritz-Carlton in 1983. When did the leadership 
center launch? We've been in business now for uh, about 20 years. 20 years. But it's changed substantially. If Mm -hmm. I were to look at kind of the start of that work, um, it was a very small business focused on um, keynotes and training. And today, if you look at probably the last three to four years of our existence, the business has really accelerated to be consulting, um, to be really broad Fortune 500 work that we're doing that's well beyond uh, what people would consider traditional training. So from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, didn't Apple adopt some, uh, several or uh, many of the techniques that um, that the Ritz-Carlton uh, offers? Yes, Leadership Steve, Center? Uh, Steve Jobs actually talks about it in his book. The um, Genius Bar and the service that happens around the Genius Bar is referenced by Steve as, uh, as being founded around the Ritz-Carlton's principles. When you go into the Apple Store, what are some of those services that you see when you walk in and say, oh, yeah, that's a Ritz-Carlton, um, you know, initiative or, you know. You know, I think Apple's done a brilliant job of, of innovating on their own and taking kind of what I would call fundamental best practices and making them very specific to Apple. But you see that warm, genuine uh, greeting when you come in. You see the eye contact. Um, you see uh, people on actively engaged with other people. Even though it's a technology environment, that level of human engagement in the Apple store is always so high. And I think those are all really core to Ritz-Carlton. What are others some of the uh, successful customer service strategies that that other companies have adopted from uh, Ritz-Carlton? You, there's so many, um, and we're going to anything in the uh, yeah. We're, we're going to certainly talk about them in the okay. next 45 minutes. But I think some of the ones that um, really impress me the most are that idea of personalization, anticipatory service, and really authentic, genuine human connection. When brands can drive those behaviors, um, we know they're going to have a much stronger customer experience. We know they're going to have a stronger um, opportunity to create viral moments. We're going to talk about those as well. Uh, Those are all things that we've been doing at Ritz-Carlton. We were doing customer experience before it was a thing. Yeah, for for we're we're really the hallmark of that, and right. and our founders had that ideal, you know, back at the very very beginning, right. that customer experience was going to be fundamental to the brand. It's interesting, you know, you're talking about you are the leader when it comes to anticipatory services, and that is becoming more important than ever. And with technology, and now you add technology into the mix. You know, how do you maneuver that? How, you know, technology to me would actually help you anticipate even more some of the things that uh, customers want before they even get there. How has technology affected the whole anticipatory service idea? You know, I actually see it as a continuum. When I spend time with brands, I see a lot of focus on um, digital innovation as much as human um, innovation. And a great example for me is I was spending time with a retailer and we were looking at their digital platform and uh, they also operate bricks and mortar stores. So their ability to connect the digital experience to the human experience is very strong. They were so proud of their uh, digital platform and they were showing me their chat bots and they were showing me all the, the things, the bells and whistles we've all, we all now expect, right, when we, when we shop uh, online. And I said, let me show you a scenario. I'm going to put two pairs of shoes in my shopping cart, an eight and an eight and a half. Let's see. And, and what happens with the chat bot? It pops up and says, how may I help you? 
I hate that question. That's my least favorite question, whether in person or digital. And I said, that, that customer has given you an opportunity to anticipate their need. They've put an eight and an eight and a half in the cart. They're clearly struggling with their size. That chat bot could pop up and show you something very personalized. Mm -hmm. It could ask a thoughtful, anticipatory question, even though we're dealing with a digital environment. How may I help you um, figure out the right size to purchase in this shoe? Wow. I'm wowed by that online because right. no one does that today. Right. And guess what? That can completely pull through to the human side of the equation right. as well. And the opportunities are endless to personalize and anticipate. Absolutely. And I think as artificial intelligence um, becomes more mainstream and these devices become smarter, right now you're saying, you know, many of the chatbots are just very simplistic, you know, popping up saying, how may I help you today? Or would you like to speak to somebody who's probably not a human? Um, but five to 10 years from now, there will be that anticipatory conversations that you'll have, even at home with the Alexas or Google Homes, they will get smart enough to have a conversation with you just by hearing your voice and the tone of your voice. It's exciting now, but it's super exciting what's going to happen five to 10 years from now, how to integrate that into um, corporate leadership and, and, and customer relationship uh, is, is, is fascinating. Um, I, I do think ahead. what's really exciting about that is that it's the fundamental principle of anticipating human behavior and anticipating human need is so core to the entire journey end to end. Human beings love when we personalize and anticipate. Right. So, and it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of coming from the tech industry before, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that because we're talking technology here. What was it like to move from the tech industry, you'd work with some major brands, to a sort of a luxury hospitality industry? And what were some of the things that you brought over that were able to innovate in different ways, perhaps that wasn't done before? You know, what was, what was great for me is in the technology arena, we're so focused on transformation through technology, right? Through bringing products to market, implementing them, thinking about how to construct these journeys with technology. And what we do on the hospitality side and, and through the Leadership Center is the same thing, but we're doing it with service and we're doing it with culture and we're doing it with the, the, the principles around those. So the transformation is so similar in terms of the goal, the vehicle is just different. So that's been um, exciting to bring all the infrastructure and the methodology that we would apply to right. think about solving customer challenges, taking products to market, thinking about building brands. All those principles still apply um, in this new arena. But I'd say also for me, what was great is, is having seen so much technology, I love to watch and I love to look at how that technology is being used and implemented, um, not only by our clients at the Leadership Center, but inside of the hospitality industry. So it's exciting. You know, level setting, you know, there's a lot of level setting, but what's going to be the difference between uh, one brand and another, especially at retail, is going to be customer service. And not just any customer service, it's anticipatory customer service um, and other ways and new experiences. And it's it's about... You know, the whole idea of, uh, of experiences evolved too, and it's taking it right to the retail store as well. Today, it's all about the experience. Um, there's so many beautiful, well-crafted, um, 
extraordinary products in the market of luxury, whether you talk retail or auto um, or aviation or any of these segments. Um, but at the end of the day, wrapping the experience around the product is really the key differentiator. We know from all of the studies uh, recently in the market that 75% of millennials would rather buy an experience, right? That's a commonly sort of quoted and discussed stat. But I think a more interesting one I actually saw last week was that across generations, uh, whether you're looking at baby boomers, millennials, even Gen Z as they're starting to come up into the and having purchasing power, twenty uh, people would pay a twenty percent premium to have a personalized experience. That's incredible yeah. in the luxury segment, right? But yet we're not seeing movement fast enough to capitalize on that tr emerging trend. Yeah, I mean, there are some brands that are customizing and personalizing products, especially it's interesting in the streetwear area, which has become a luxury category in itself, personalization is huge. And obviously, it's attracting more of the younger audience as well, because they see that. You know, there are lots of different definitions of, of luxury, and the, and the industry has changed. How would you define luxury? At the end of the day, for me, luxury is all about the level of experience that you receive end to end. You obviously you're expecting a special product, um, but but the experience is what takes it from ordinary to extraordinary. And for me, that is first touch to 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 last touch to the extension of loyalty to the life cycle with the consumer. That entire experience and journey is what really defines luxury today. Yeah, and the expectations, you know, again, expectations for consumers have, I mean, the bar is set really high now. And how do you think, you know, first of all, what do you think those expectations are? And how do you think that's changing? And how do you see, you know, some brands, if you could name some, um, are meeting those some of those expectations? Or where you're seeing brands, you don't have to name them at all, that, that still needs some work. So what do you think consumers are expecting right now? You know, I, I expect a brand to know me. I expect a brand to personalize my experience for me. And a pers by personalize, I don't mean use my name in an email. Right. You greet me by name. That's great. But I expect you to know me. If I have a relationship with your brand, if I've made purchases or I've shared um, details about my lifestyle or my preferences with you, I expect you to be paying attention and use those to personalize your interaction with me. I expect you to anticipate my next move and to appeal to my unexpressed desires and wishes as a brand you've and, and, and by um, making purchases with your brand, you've earned the right to have that relationship with me and you should be developing it. You should also be seeking on my journey and my experience to be wowing me in big and small ways. You should be finding ways to make an indelible impression on me that drives the loyalty, deepens the relationship and continues to build the trust. Yeah, and also it's the other thing is knowing that if I'm giving you my data, that it's number one secured and that you're going to, if it's going to be personalized to me, that you're going to use the data in a way that provides me great value. And that's what's going to keep me coming back to your brand that, you know, I'm, it's a give and take relationship. And that's a big trust, the trust factor there, um, especially in the luxury industry as well. Uh, so do you see that vary by generation demographics or geography at all? 
I think anytime you have um, a demographic that pushes on it, it raises the expectations across all mm -hmm. demographics. Uh, I was I was at an event um, just last night, and someone was talking about their flight from Europe to to, to New York. And the complete lack of personalization. They were in business class and they said, nobody acknowledged my status. Small thing, right? Yeah. And something the airline tracks. Nobody used my name. I fly this airline transatlantic three times a month. I see the same flight attendants. I'd love it if they remembered what drink I like. like just the small things that, that this frequent traveler highlighted to me would have made the difference in that journey. Right. And I think we have examples of those everywhere. And the airline's a great example, even though if they, when these airlines come out with new marketing campaigns that stress service and personalization, it changes when you step on board and it's a whole different story. Because maybe, you know, the airline industry, for the most part, I, I, they're still behind the curve when it comes to personalization and uh customer service in many ways. You just have to go on any social media and you'll see a lot of frustrated people on uh, for different reasons. So let's talk about, you know, the concept of service, you know, and we talk just talking about some of the expectations of what consumers want. How does service fit into it? At the end of the day, creating an experience, regardless of, of the platform or the bricks and mortar environment, is done through how we deliver a how we deliver moments to each other. And at the end of the day, that fundamentally comes down to the concept of service, um, especially in a, in a retail environment. There's been so much conversation around retail and bricks and mortar retail. Um, it is paramount today that service be exemplary in that environment. You need to stand out. So service is the method by which we create the experience. So it's really, from my perspective, core to everything that happens um, in, in, a, in, in a retail environment, on an airplane, at a car dealership, um, inside of a luxury hotel. It's, it's just, it's all about the service. So how do you, you were just talking about retail and, and the future of retail is evolving. And, you know, I walk into any of the luxury malls um, around New York City or anywhere in the United States, and they're empty. How do you see customer service impacting some of these luxury retailers in their bricks and mortar store where they can help drive more people into those stores knowing that they will have an amazing experience when they go in there? It's not just a, just a pure showroom for... Um, for their items, but also, and they're not just salespeople that are selling you stuff, that their expectations of going into a retailer is, is going to be about this amazing experience and amazing customer service and anticipatory service as well. You know, you have to develop as a brand, you have to develop a reputation for that. It, and, and it comes back to sustainability, consistency, and in creating those experiences that will go viral. Because when an experience goes viral, you as a brand, it's part of your storytelling. It becomes part of your reputation in the market. And 
the more consumers hear about extraordinary experiences where somebody, you're, you're, you're walking into Gucci to purchase a bag, and instead of it just being about the transaction and purchasing the bag and leaving, it becomes this emotional journey that Gucci is going to take you on. And from the moment you enter the store, the way you're greeted, the way they create the ambiance and the full experience for you, um, taking time throughout the transaction to make it so special and drive those brand connections, those are the kinds of things that go viral. Your brand earns that reputation. Now consumers have a choice. Do I do the transaction online for the ease and have my product shipped to my home? Or do I actually want to go to the store because I want to have this really special um, experience? You earn that that reputation right. and then the traffic in right. your store changes. You know, you'll have the the uh, person at the retail store know your name. You're talking about the importance of knowing your name, but also you're talking about these wow moments. I call them surprise and delight moments, and I think they're kind of the same things, and there's too few of it out there. And when we do come across, um, whether it's at a uh, hospitality or anywhere, when those surprise and delight moments happen, you'll always remember that. And you'll always recommend it to somebody else. Um, I have not seen many of those in in, in the luxury industry uh, and in retail. And I think my opinion is I think there's that that's something they need to focus on these wow moments. I couldn't agree more. And I think um, the potential there is so extraordinary to capture the imagination of the consumer, to capture the loyalty, to create that indelible impression that will be unforgettable, right? The moment you purchased your Gucci bag becomes this this incredible thing that you think back on every time you carry the bag, that you talk to your friends about, just as an example. It, it has the ability to keep living in perpetuity. Right. And brands love that. You right. can't market your way into that, but you can create experiences that drive that behavior. So how do you operationalize those wow moments? Well, first of all, it starts with having the right people, right. right? You have to hire, especially in a, in a bricks and mortar environment, in any industry, you have to hire for culture first. And you have to be super clear about what your culture is. If your brand identity is tied to um, anticipatory service, creating wow moments, really driving an exceptional brand identity that's that's around personalization. You have to hire people that have a heart for service, really want to do that, really love and are committed not only to your brand, but to the culture behind your brand. That's the first thing. The second thing is you have to focus on that as a root metaphor. It can't be something that you know, is an occasional expectation. It's something that your your ladies and gentlemen or your employees get up every single day and they are relentlessly focused on looking for opportunities to wow anybody, anywhere, anytime they're touching your brand. It's got to be that level of intentional focus. Then you've got to give people the tools. So we talked a little bit about preferences mm -hmm. and assuming consumers have opted right. in to all the right privacy and, and that you're, you, you have to collect preferences in a way that you can scale. And then you have to have a culture that utilizes those preferences, takes the time to understand them, and, and really uses them to drive those experiences. But above all, as a brand, you must have an identity that is focused on them.
Right. Big and small. Right. We actually look at all the different categories of wow. Right. From what we would consider to be an essential wow when working with brands. What's an essential wow that you should be delivering every time to every consumer? And then what are legendary wows? Mm-hmm. And how do you extend those through the buying process and right. through the relationship? So some of the companies that you work with are, I'm sure, have been um, around for many years. And it's very hard for some of these traditional companies that have stayed in their ways for many, many years to pivot. And I'm calling it pivoting because it's pivoting in the way they do business, the way that customer service is done. Are you finding and getting getting them out of their comfort zone, if you will? How are you finding that in working with companies and getting them out of their comfort zone? Well, I think one of the things that's great is the market pressure today is driving people out of their comfort zone. Right. Because if you don't, um, there will be disruptors that will come into your business. They will come in. You will will simply cease to exist. No matter how um, extraordinary your heritage is or your history, your market will shrink and others will take your share. So the beauty right now is that people are being forced out of their comfort zone is the first thing. Um, And then the second thing is really taking the time, I think as a heritage brand, Ritz-Carlton is really uniquely positioned understand this. Um, We've been, while we have this incredible legacy and heritage, we have been constantly innovating our approach, staying current, staying contemporary, thinking about how wows have changed, thinking about how the concept of service has changed, what people want today. We are constantly evolving, and that puts us in a position to really advise brands on how to get out of the comfort zone and continue to think in this um, innovative way. Can you? I don't know if you can share some or one example of a client, if you can name them or not, where you um, perhaps a client that has been also a heritage brand that you've worked with that has made uh, big strides in the way they in customer service, or you could tell the category if you don't feel like. No, we have a um, we have a retail client mm-hmm. that has historically had I would had I. Um, I would describe as kind of a an old-fashioned approach to service. And it comes down to really um, small things, how you greet customers, whether or not you look them in the eye, uh, how potentially maybe standoffish you might be and not engaging and allowing them to uh, move around the store, uh, being... Uh, speaking only when you're spoken to, kind of very, very old-fashioned principles of, of service. And they acknowledged that their consumers were um, – their, their foot traffic had slowed. Their consumers were traditionally an older demographic. They were looking to attract a younger demographic. They really needed to change. We embarked on a 12-month journey that included kind of a discovery, classical kind of consulting mm-hmm. project, a discovery, um, a design phase around kind of what were their aspirations, what audience were they really looking to track, um, what kinds of things could they really look to implement. We designed an entire program and implemented it across all of their stores. And it was fun for us because you get an opportunity to think about creating the future legacy of a heritage brand. And it took time and it was a lot of effort, but they have seen, um, even in the early stages, such an increase. And they also, by the way, pulled all of this through their branding and their marketing and even some of their store design. But they're now at a stage where they're really starting to see the ship turn and being more attractive to a younger consumer and starting to deliver on some of this. So it was an exciting journey. 
journey to go from kind of what I described at the start, very old fashioned, I'd call it almost Downton Abbey-esque service, (laughs) to where we are today, which feels so much more contemporary and modern. And uh, it's fun. It's fun to watch brands go through that journey. So this part of the services that leader, the Leadership Center does, is it also helping them uh, hire for their workforce and the types of people they should be hiring? hiring? Because here you're just giving an example of a, a brand, an older brand, and you're going to h- want to hire people at retail with that same mentality and be able to evolve with whatever you're putting forth as their, as a strategy. Are you finding that it's hard to hire good people these days that fit into that mold? I, I think it comes down to being very precise about what you're looking for, being patient and thoughtful about the process, and being uncompromising. A bad hire can destroy your brand. And we know that even not, it doesn't even take a bad hire. An indifferent hire can destroy your brand. So taking the time to get the hiring right is one of the most important things. And it's oftentimes where people really fall apart. They rush. Warm body right. is what, what I'm after. And a warm body will destroy your brand. So for its call, it's all about anticipating the customer's expressed and unexpressed needs. And this means like seeking out the customer's unanticipated, unvoiced needs. Are there some key components that need to be present where brands should invest? I think there's a couple of things um, when it comes to anticipatory service. Obviously, we've talked about one, and that's the human capital. You really need uh, people who are going to um, have a heart for that. The second is is the culture. We've spoken about that as well. Really okay. driving that as a fundamental and important tenet and a root metaphor for all that you do. And then encouraging people to stay in the moment in their jobs. You mu- To deliver anticipatory service, you have to be paying attention to everything around you, to the people in front of you, reading body language, reading tone, um, taking the time to, to do the research before the client comes in or before the guest comes in using those preferences. You really have to stay in the moment. So those are very, very important investments uh, that, that, are, that all brands should be making. And there should be accountability. You know, if they're trying to get a certain level of service from their salespeople, they have to be accountable for it. So do you have certain methods to help them track accountability for that? You know, I think from our you perspective. just leave that to them. Yeah. You right. know, the first, the first thing I'd say is that we, we come at it from a positive point of view in that if you hire the right people, you reinforce it daily. And that's something we recommend at the Ritz-Carlton and something we do. You practice and leadership and all of the ladies and gentlemen all around are constantly focused on this. The accountability follows um, pretty pretty quickly. Not to say it shouldn't be tracked, and we do. We measure right. and, and we advise our clients to measure everything. Surveys, guest preferences after a visit, um, all, all of the things I think most people are already doing really drive that. You'll right. know when a guest comes right. back that, yeah, there's um, – a survey comes back they're going to express whether or not somebody wowed them. Right. So in the, you recently said in the Luxury Daily, uh, as we move into 2019, believe that brands that master the convergence of digital and social with the personal and human experience will distinguish themselves as market leaders. So how do you connect the digital and the human elements of service? Are there features that are universal across, across both platforms? You know, one thing um, 
I've been thinking a lot about lately that I I think is really underutilized is the concept of social listening. I think this has such a power to connect digital and, and human. So having a brand that is monitoring social media and is looking at hashtags, is looking at posts uh, from consumers. Sometimes you'll see somebody hashtag, you know, American Airlines, right, in in a description. And using that listening and having an active listening um, environment where you can then come along behind it and provide an opportunity to wow. And that opportunity to wow could be digital. It could be um, in person. It could be someone that hashtags you know, a great example for hospitality. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm on Instagram. I, you know, I hashtag, I just got engaged. I've got a picture of my ring. Um, and I mentioned in my post, I'm staying at the Marriott. Right. We are going to listen for that. And guess what? That's right. our, our crystal moment to wow and to make an indelible impression on that couple. Right. That's the opportunity to send champagne to the room. Right. And they didn't tell anyone they just got engaged, but now we look really smart right. and it's a real opportunity to wow. More brands should be thinking about social listening and how they can use that for digital and in-person moments. And it's also acting on that because there are so many cases on social media where there's a lot of misinformation where someone will post something on Twitter that really didn't have the full information about what particularly happened, whether it's on an airline, at a hotel, or wherever it was. And all of a sudden, it becomes viral. And, um, you know, it starts trending in the top, you know, top 10 trends. How could companies get ahead of that? Because I've seen some bad reactions to things like that from clients. I've seen okay reactions. And how do you dissolve or dilute um, those issues where there is misinformation coming out in social media? What do you recommend to your clients on that? You know, we don't spend a lot of time making recommendations around social media posting. Right, (laughs) right. But I do think that any time you have um, a client engagement in person or over social media, the opportunity for service recovery is there. And look, that can happen in person as well. Uh, a guest or, or a client can give you only partial information face-to-face as well. It's about having a process and a methodology in place ahead of those moments. As an organization, you need to have a structure and a way in which you're going to execute service recovery, and it needs to include a process by which you're going to handle things where information is not complete. What do you stand for as a brand? What does your integrity look like at that moment? And, And how do you do the right thing right for your brand, right for the customer or the consumer in that moment? And how are you going to define it? Being prepared is a big part of the battle because those things are going to happen to every brand. Right. Yeah, I've seen, I mean, I could see it all the time. There isn't the right preparation or the response is just not the response that you want. And once the response is on social media from the brand that's not up to a certain level, then it just spirals out of control. Um, but yes, so you know, plenty of people in the industry have woken up to this whole power of storytelling. You know, over time, the concept of storytelling has become overused to the point where it really doesn't mean a lot anymore because it's just been overused. So, how does service fit into brand storytelling, and what makes a great brand story in luxury right now? I think the best storytelling is done by the consumer on behalf of the brand. The best storytelling, and this is where service plays in. The best storytelling you can't buy. It's consumers that will go online and they will tell the story of your brand 
through their lens and their eyes and their experience. And that is how your brand identity happens today. If you think you're controlling it through marketing campaigns, yes, you are to some extent, but the most powerful is the storytelling the consumer does on your behalf. And those and service fits in so beautifully into that. There's kind of the classic story, uh, Ritz-Carlton story that went viral for us a couple of years ago that yeah. I think makes the real point. And it's all about a family with a young son, stayed on a property, the young son uh, left his bear in the in the in, tangled up in the bed sheets, and the family didn't realize that until they'd gotten home. And they called the property, and they say, "We've got to get the bear back. Our son can't sleep without his bear." In a lot of brands, what would they do? The requisite requirement is find the bear, ship the bear back, overnight the bear, FedEx, UPS, get the bear to the back to the the family and to the son. At Ritz-Carlton, because we are relentlessly focused on wowing our guests, our ladies and gentlemen said, this is a moment. They recognized the moment, they found the bear, and then they took the time to create a narrative around the bear that we knew would make yeah. for an incredible story yeah. and would really wow the family. And this bear got photographed all over the property, going to the spa, going to the bar. I don't know how great <laughs> that is for a bear, but, uh, you know, going, going scuba diving, sitting in a beach chair. And then our ladies and gentlemen turned this into a scrapbook. Cost us very little as a brand, some human capital labor and 10 or $20 to make a nice scrapbook, wrote a beautiful note all about how the bear really wasn't lost. He was just extending his stay because he loved the property so much. Packaged that up and sent that to the family. The family in turn was so wowed by this experience, they posted it all over social media. I do remember that. And then people picked it up. Yep. And then other people picked it up. And it was, it, it was that classic viral moment that's the story of our brand right there. It's who we are. It's what we do. And we didn't tell it. Yeah. Our guests did. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not enough of those positive viral moments. There's too many negative viral moments out there. I'm sure there are a lot of positive ones out there that just don't get that same kind of treatment. But I do remember that was a great story. So where do you think trust fits into this whole equation of storytelling? You know, anytime you have a consumer that is building a relationship, like all relationships. Great relationships are built on trust. And the consumer relationship today or the guest relationship today is all about knowing there is a consistent and predictable behavior on both sides. That if I uh, vote with my dollar and I purchase your products or I invest with you, in return I expect to get an experience, I expect that relationship to build, I expect uh, that I can trust how I will be, um, how I will experience your brand, no matter where I am in the world or who I'm engaging with. Um, that's a really important trust. And the first time you walk into a boutique or you fly a route on an airline and your service experience is not what you expect based on your three previous interactions, you start to erode and break the trust. So trust comes in a lot of different flavors from obviously you mentioned it earlier, data protection. Right. Um, there's just so much where trust is fundamental to uh, brand identity today. Absolutely. So my last question before I get into my luxury item question, which I asked every guest, is where do you think the luxury industry is going to be in five years? And how do you see service playing a role 
of where this industry is going. It will play a more critical role than today. I'm curious to hear where you think the luxury industry is going. I think at the end of the day, we've talked about it a lot. Right. Certainly experiences are going to continue to play yes. an even more important role. Right. Uh, and they won't be – I think today we're so focused on the standalone experience with one brand. The future is – all brands are, are working so hard to get to the lifestyle pinnacle, right? right? Where, where a consumer looks at your brand as a critical component of who they are. In order to do that, we're going to have to see – brands connect to one another and extend experiences that are aligned uh, and really generate um, what I would say are, are larger scale experiences where consumers go, these three brands define who I am. And I, I don't just look at what I purchase. Or I don't look at them for, for what they can provide, but they are fundamental to who I am. Right. I think the luxury segment is getting closer and closer to that uh, every day. I also think we're going to see a lot more brand extensions happening. It won't be just, um, you know, Gucci makes beautiful leather goods and some beautiful clothing, but how do I capture a bigger piece of the consumer imagination? How mm -hmm. do I extend my brand mm -hmm. out into bigger parts of their lives uh, where I, again, I can be important in, in bigger ways. I think yeah. that will all start to happen. We're seeing um, with luxury brands that are opening up restaurants and other experiences and places they would have not delved into 10 years ago. But first, and even before before we can go there, we have to master the idea of building these deep, profound relationships. Right. And I think the luxury consumer uh, space still has a lot of work to do there. Yeah. So my final question, which I ask all my guests, is if you were stranded on a desert island with one luxury item you could have, and that one luxury item can't be a form of transportation, someone tried to sneak that in once and that was the no-no, and the other one was you can't have anything that requires mobile service, so you can't speak to anybody. So what would that one luxury item be that you would want on a deserted island um, that, uh, you know, that means a lot to you? So first I have to acquire it. Okay, so uh, uh, that will be my 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 preface. Um, but being on a on a on a luxury, uh, you know, being on an island and thinking about this, um, I'm a big watch collector. Mm -hmm. I love watches. Horology is is a passion, uh, and MBNF is a company I really follow, and I, I just think Max Busse mm -hmm. does some incredible yep. work. Uh, a recent model is a space pirate. Mm -hmm. I think it's extraordinary um, piece of art. And, and engineering. And I think if you're going to be on a desert island, uh, you know, having that beautiful item that reminds you of uh, how innovative the human mind is and how beautiful um, art can be would definitely be my pick. So first I have to acquire a space pirate and then I'm <laughs> taking it to my desert island. <laughs> I love that answer. Well, thank anyway, Antonia, I really thank you so much for coming in. You're a great guest, and I appreciate all the insights, not only for me, but for the listeners. Well, it was really exciting. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr, 
Until next time.